really excited to share tonight. I'm really excited to just to basically share what God's been doing in my life this past year. Um, I've been fortunate enough. I see a lot of people looking at the, the topic. The topic is eternal life. It's, it's on purpose. I try to be punny. Uh, I hope I was. Um, Jan, I, I want to share just how God changed me. But before that, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Stefan Kotze. I'm 30 years old. I'm married to Nastasha. The beautiful blonde. Um, we celebrated our 11th month this week, I love. Yeah. We're still in that season where we celebrate every month. So that's good. <laughs> Some of you forget in which month you are, even which year. So, um, yeah, and it's been fortunate to be on this road this past year. And she played a huge part in just my growth, my spiritual growth this past year. And her input. And I can truly say that God's done amazing stuff in my life um, with the help of my wife. Um, so I'm going to focus tonight, my heart is, I want to share with you, in summary, that Jesus is a giver of life, daily. He's not shy to provide us with life, he doesn't give us a taste of life once in a blue moon, but daily he wants us to partake of him, and to eat of him, and to experience him, and to have life in him. And... Um, and how I got to that, I'll just share about it. Um, but it's been a long journey for me to actually open myself as a Christian for God to change my life daily. So before I start, I just want to pray. Your Father, I just give you the honor. And Lord, I say thank you that you did a great thing in my life. And I'm trusting, Lord, that you can do it again, Lord God. And you can do it in everyone's lives, Lord God. And I trust, Lord God, that you will speak to the Spirit tonight. I trust, Holy Spirit, that you will speak that you will bring forth change, Lord. And that we will walk out here tonight knowing that our Jesus wants to meet with us daily and he's got life and abundance for us. Not only in knowledge, but in truth, in our heart, we know that we can come to you for life. Amen. Cool. So Stephen, Stephen shared, he was there the day I got saved. I got saved in, in Rez. Um, Stephen was, uh, I was his second year. He was my year, my first year. And I only had leadership um, over him for one year, and ever since he's been my harker and my elder, so I gladly submit to him ever since. Um, and yeah, Herman was also my year, and um, just in a different section. And and we had a church sermon in the, in our quad. I was in Dachbeck at Salembosch. Uh, we had a church sermon. I only went there because there was girls. Anyway, went there, but I was really at a bad stage of my life, depressed. And the message of that day was that Jesus is hope. And there was just a message of hope of who Jesus is. And that day, I put my hand in the air and I accepted Jesus as my Lord of Savior. Because the hope that was promised to me was such a big promise that I couldn't deny it. I couldn't walk away that day. So I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior on the, 20, no, the 19th of October, 2008. And my life has drastically changed. Um, I'm fortunate enough to... To actually then, um, I joined Shofar Stellenbosch. So I've been in the Shofar family for the past nine years. Um, due to my work, I'm in construction. I regularly go into towns where there's literally nothing. Towns as big as Pietrastein, um, where all 800 of us um, <laughs> can fit in one room. And um, I've been in towns where there was no Shofar, but still the Lord has, has worked in my life in seasons. 
So throughout, after I gave my life to God, He's really redeemed a lot. And I have a testimony of God's redemption. He's redeemed me, actually just physically also. You can ask Stephen, I was a 140 kg guy, not very active. He redeemed me into becoming very active. Just my physical life changed. Spiritually, He gave me identity. Spiritually, He gave me confidence and a hope. And... Um, and he redeemed relationships with my father, with my family. Just a lot of redemption in my life. And throughout, I would, I'm basically saved nine years now. And throughout the first eight years, there's a lot of testimonies of God just in season coming and res- doing restoration work in my life and in my heart. And I've been serving him for eight years. I've, it might sound like I'm building up my CV, but there's a, there's a, there's a reason for it. I served everywhere. Kitty's Church, I started, that's the first place I um, served, I served packing out chairs, I went on missions, I didn't miss any intercession, I, um, I did offering messages, I was fortunate enough to lead missions teams, I, um, sure, I, I was even in a play, a musical, a guy that can't sing but still somehow got the main act and then they had to get a cover up for me to sing on my behalf. But it worked. Um, so everywhere in church where there was opportunity, I would raise up my hand and I would serve. And, um, and it's been awesome. It's been awesome. I've, I made a joke about Pieter Stein or mentioned Pieter Stein. But I was in a town there where there's nothing. And even in that town, God allowed me to, to labor with someone else, uh, a guy from the Assemblies of God. And we started a ministry which eventually turned into a church. It was a wonderful seven months of my life because when I walked away, there were 20 people that got saved, baptized, and there was a church. And it's been amazing. God's really, I, I've been fortunate, fortunate to labor with God in plenty of ways. I've been fortunate in our Durbanville congregation. We started a, a church for the homeless. And I, was very, I, was, I wasn't there from day one. I joined in, in year three when we got our own place. And I was fortunate to labor there and to see God moving in people's lives. Drug is um, coming to salvation, going to rehab, and just life's changed. People experiencing the love of God. And it's been an awesome season. And now, what happens? <laughs> what happens when you, when you take, like, when you're part of church, and you, you've got your PhD in um, Christianity, then there's a, a bit of an expectation on you to perform. Huh, Ziggy? I see you nodding your head. You understand what I'm talking about. So you come, you know how shofar works. You can w- walk into any congregation. I've been in this one for two years. You know the system. You know what's going to happen next. And you can fall in and you can quickly look like you belong. You're part of the family and you can add value. And that's what I did. I brought my gifts and I added value. And God's been faithful and He used me. But what happens, people come to you and say, they actually start to, to see that you actually seeking God's face, and they acknowledge the fact that you have a heart after God. So they ask you for, um, just for impartation, or they ask you for, that's a rat now, they ask you for um, advice and stuff. And, and you become, you, you take the role, you take the role as a leader, you take the role as a discipling people, showing the way, you, you, you just step into that role. And, and when there's ministry afterwards, you come and you pray for people, because you've been following God now for a certain amount of years. And yeah, it's basically expected of you to pray. And I've, I took up that role. And I, I enjoyed it. And um, God used me. But when no one was watching, 
in my room, I didn't experience God. There was an absence of God in my intimate life. So I would go to church. And I would basically pretend for a long time or for a lot of seasons. And I would stand there and I would use my knowledge because luckily I sat at the feet of a lot of pastors that have an understanding of the word. And I will gain, I will take that understanding and take that knowledge and use that to impart. But it's all stuff I learned in the flesh. But in the spirit, it was dry. My walk with God was dry. Yes, I've experienced him. And yes, he's redeemed a lot. But I wasn't encouraged to spend time with him. I'm going to be honest with you. It wasn't encouraging for me to spend time with God because I would go there with the expectation to meet with him and then I won't meet with him. And I will go there often, day after day, in every season. Okay, not day after day, two or three times a week. But in every season, I would go having an expectation that God's going to be there, speak to me, talk to me, and nothing will happen. And then I will sit there, read my Bible, do my prayer, be discouraged, and leave the room satisfied with what I just had. Basically, reading the word on my own without God's presence. So, seasons will go. There, will, there was, I had this idea, and that's why I want to share that we can have life every day. Because what happened in my Christian walk is I would have seasons of hardship. <laughs> and that is not like You would go and you would fight and you would battle and you would feel like you're not breaking through. And then God will, once or twice a year, He will just come and He will. Break the walls for me. And I would be in the seventh heaven. And I would experience God amazingly. And I would be on such a spiritual high. Because God has actually brought breakthrough. I've actually experienced God. I tasted and I've seen that He is good. So I'm excited and I go around and I tell everyone that God is good. Because He's been good to me. But then somehow I had to keep on to that food that He gave me for months. Because for months afterwards I felt like I had to feed myself. Until God's going to come and going to feed me again. And that's how I viewed Christianity. That's how I viewed relationship with God. I, I believe that everyone else is obviously seeing God every day, like you guys. But it wasn't the same for me. It was a difficult ro- road. Hey, Rosie. <laughs> it, was a, it was a difficult road. So I got my identity and my confidence and my doctrine so doctrine is what you believe about God. I based everything on what I, I have experienced and what I can see and what makes sense in my mind. So I, actually, I was actually very close to what the Spirit is doing. Um, very close might be the wrong word. I was extremely closed to the working of the Spirit. But I didn't understand it. didn't fit my knowledge. It didn't fit my, do, um, my doctrine. So the reason I'm sharing that is because all these people, and I'm actually referring to my wife now. But you get some of them, like Nastasha, they are excited about Jesus every day of their life. And I couldn't believe that. I felt, I felt I had an obligation to tell them that this is just for a week or two. You're going to get back to life. Jesus isn't that good. But somehow she's still bubbling over every day ever since. And that would... I would really be irritated in a way, but also in a way I would be like, but why? How did they get, 
how, did, how does she get so excited about Jesus if he only gives you food once or twice a year? Didn't happen with me. Um, so fast forward, I'm on this track. I'm doing Christianity, coming to East London, bringing my Christianity skill to the service or to the church of East London, fitting in nicely, loving the people. And um, got engaged last year, and that's a real, it was an interesting season in my life. Praise the Lord, we married for 11 months. Um, and, and God started speaking to me in this church. Obviously, Flip Andre is just gunning for the Spirit. Now, imagine coming here, and you're very limited to what you experience of the Spirit, and you hear all this stuff from the pulpit of uh, the Spirit, the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit fire, and breaks your brain, and you're actually not open. I uh, wasn't really open for it. And um, going through a dip again at the end of last year, the first thing God did, he, he told me, I just feel I need to mention it. He told me, Stefan, you listening to the accuser too much. You're giving the accuser plenty of game time in your head. So whenever you come to me, you would spend 20 minutes with me, but 18 minutes you would repent and be sorry and feel unworthy because you didn't do enough. You didn't pray for that person. You didn't get a picture. You didn't have your quiet time yesterday. You didn't. So I would just, whenever I approached God, I would approach with the mentality that I'm not good enough, that he is unhappy with me, and that he doesn't want to meet with me. That crept into my relationship with the Lord. So he told me, Stefan, you must silence the accuser. I'm like, okay, cool. It was a very good word for me. I remember actually Ross in Tigerberg shared it with me. He prayed for me one Sunday evening, and I was in tears. So two weeks later, we had our shofar convergence in... in um, that's our annual where all the shofars come together. Um, we had it in where? In um, Ritanga Junction in Cape Town. And that Sunday evening, Sias was preaching about, um, you know Sias Leroux? He was preaching about how we're giving game time basically to the, to the deceiver, to the one that accuses us. And I was so excited because two weeks before that, God told me I'm a silence accuser. I'm like, yo. I'm in the spirit, I'm, 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 I'm in the season, and I'm hearing God's word, and it's been established, and I'm going to win this. And then afterwards, they said, okay, everyone, like normal ministry time, come to the front, pray for people. And I was like, whoo, the Lord told me this two weeks ago, I'm going to pray for people, because it's changing my life, it needs to change people's life. And um, I prayed for people, which at that stage was praying for people in ministry time was a difficult thing for me. I would feel a lot of pressure. Like, ooh, I have to get a word. I have to get something very prophetic and something very strong. And lives must change now. And it's all dependent on me. So it was a nerve-wrecking environment. And then what I will do, I will rely on the flesh and pray the best fleshy prayer that you can get. And so I would pray my fleshy prayers, which probably got a lot of impact, but it's just lacking power. And I somehow hooked up with Andre. And he was praying, and you guys know Andre, he was Shanghai, Shanghai, and he was just, and, and people would experience God. And I was, I was dealing with the fact that, okay, he's a pastor and everything, but everyone, when he prays for someone, they're experiencing God. And I don't know if I asked him or whether he just told me this that night, but he, and we've all heard this plenty of times in, in this building that he prays from a position of presence, and then he just allows the presence of God to touch someone else. 
So I had my idea of presence, and that wasn't my idea of presence. My idea of presence was I'm going to enter. It's like going to God into his office or room, sitting, looking at him, and then basically we are in the same room. But this version of presence that Andre was talking about was something that was real, something that can be felt, and something that can be carried over, and people can experience the Lord, and it, it shook, my, shook my brain. So, and it shook my theology, because I've been very outspoken against a lot of spiritual stuff. Um, I had numerous <laughs> fights with Nastasha, because she was very open to a lot of spiritual stuff, and I felt, I felt like being a future husband, I must just inform her that she's deceived. Um, <laughs> luckily, God knows better. Um, so I don't actually know why I'm sharing, because she, she needs to share, because she's got this for years now. But maybe you can relate more to me than, <laughs> than to her. Um, so back of my head, God started this thing of just awakening me to his presence and just a new concept in my life. And then in January, um, the, the pastor couple, Jan and Wendy, that was here two weeks ago, your amazing couple, they stayed at our house in January. And one evening, I remember pretty well, um, we sat on the couch and we started fellowshipping. And Jan was sharing, he was sharing just how he got saved, but more so he was sharing about the spiritual experience that he had. So I, I want to share that to you. He was sitting on the couch and he was sharing, he was telling the story of there was a revival in America, the Lakeland Revival. Lakeland revival. And he was very stubborn against the stuff of the Spirit, but God told him to go. And he went. And with his stubborn mentality, he sat there in the crowd, looking down, not wanting to focus and draw attention to what's happening in front of him. So for those of you who don't know, when revival breaks out, or how we define it sometimes as a church, that's when you, it's just a place where God's presence is so much that people just experience the Lord. They taste and see that He is good. He comes and He gives them peace. He gives lives. He touches people, and lives are changed forevermore. So in that revival, hundreds and thousands of people streamed into America to go to Lakeland to experience God in that place. Because God was actively doing Wonderful, wonderful stuff there. So he went there, and while trying to ignore everyone, someone, as I understand, I might be incorrect, but I, this is how I remember it, said, you there, pointing to Jan, just prayed for him and for the experience of the Spirit, and he twirled around like this, he says, and then he fell a couple of stairs later into the crowd, and, and it sounds, now my head is like that, this can't be of God, this can't be of God, it sounds too hectic, but, um, but then he shares like how he had this experience with the Lord, which no one can take away, how he had this intimate experience of God's presence, and when he got up, he was so peaceful, no injury, praise the Lord, and, and he couldn't get, like, he just wanted more of God, and he returned to Wellington, they had a they led a church in Wellington. They returned, and he brought back this experience that he had to the church. And they would meet weekly, ach, every, um, daily, every evening. And they would go through a season when people enter the foyer, they will fall flat on their face for hours because God's presence was in. They, they experienced revival in their church in Wellington. They will go to the streets, and they will pray for people, and people will get healed. 
And then the craziest of all stories for me, which I believe he had to share because I was very outspoken to this. He just told me that one morning they woke up and they were sitting in the bed, the whole family, and they were sharing about God's goodness. And all of a sudden, gold dust came down. So I was, t- before he said that I was totally against this gold dust thing. I've heard it before and I was like, this is not of God. But he shared, he shared it and there was a sincerity in his heart. And you can see that this is an experience that's true and honest. And I can't, I can't tell him this is a bunch of crap, according to my theology. I had to accept that what he's experiencing was the experience of God, because it brought him closer to God. And he even said, he doesn't care what people tell him about the revival. He was there, and he has seen God, and God has changed his life. And he shared this principle of a high watermark, a, a, a place where he experienced God so much in that season. And that then somehow... They, they grew out of it. Somehow, they as a church grew out of this revival. And he felt like his, the high water mark hasn't been reached in a while. And he sat there on the couch and he was crying, explaining how he longs for that again. How he longs for that experience with God and that intimacy and that presence of the Lord. And I sat there realizing that my high watermark is around here by my toes. And whatever this man is sharing is of God, and I have no clue. (laughs) I have no clue. But I want this. I want this. You see, for the first eight years of my spiritual life, I depended a lot on the flesh. But all of a sudden, I just, my eyes went open that there's more. There's more. And there's life. And that God isn't a God that reveals himself twice a year and that's your ticket for the year. No, he wants to be with you daily. And that started something. At the same time, here in church, we started talking about healing and revival and as we always do. But my heart got stirred and I went to bed that night and woke, woke up that next morning. And I was like, Lord, I want a high watermark. I want a high watermark. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to settle with the experience I have of you and the intimacy I have of you currently. I want a high watermark. I want to taste and see that you are good. And nothing else in this world must compare to that tasting and seeing. That must be my ultimate reward, you. So I went to my quiet place, spending time with the Lord. And for a couple of days or after that, my prayers will regularly be, I want a new high watermark. Because this was in my heart. My heart was to experience the Lord. And then like two weeks later, I think two or three weeks later, I sat in the, in the room and I sang and I sang a song, simple gospel. And all of a sudden, I just broke out in tears. And the Lord was just manifested himself, just revealed himself to me. I just experienced his presence and for a lot of people, it's difficult for me to define presence. But for me, it's just that place where I know God is with me, where I sit with a, a peace and a joy and a wanting to cry and laugh at the same time, or just in knowing that God is here and he's, I'm in his midst and everything is fine. There's no care, there's no worry, there's no wall that's prohibiting me of having life. It's just that moment where you sit and you're like, oh, the Lord is here. It was an awesome moment for me. 
because it's, this was the first time I experienced God in my quiet place. Not in church, not in a conference. I had previous encounters, yes. But they were all related to places and environments or situations. But this time, I experienced Him in my house, in my quiet time. And it was awesome. I didn't want to leave there, but I had to go to work. And then, yo, that just brought a shift in my relationship with God. A couple of weeks later, we were, I, don't, I kept trying to think this whole week, because we had 21 days of fire, and then somewhere we also had another week of prayer. I think we had like a couple of weeks of prayer this year, anyway. But one of those weeks of prayer, I remember Nastasha and I was praying this one morning, and uh, also again, I would experience the Lord, and I just sat there, not saying a word. Just, just wanting to sit there. And I, I remember I was dressed and ready to go to work because after our prayer session, I'm going to leave. But I was just like, I don't want to go to work now. This is awesome. I'm experiencing God. And, and the more I experienced God, obviously the accuser came and he told me, Stefan, some morning, Stefan, this was a, it was a boring morning, wasn't it? And I was like, no. I spent time with God. I read, even though I didn't feel his manifest presence, I know he was there. I know he's a real God. I know he's a God who wants to meet with me every day. So when I come and I spend time with him and I read his word and I get excited about who Jesus is, when I eat of him, he's there. I can't eat of something that's not there. I can only eat of something if it's there. And I will, I will just go with that confidence and say, God is here. And in my heart, yes, I just got more excited. And we started talking about prophecy in the church. And I'm like, I want to prophesy. I want to prophesy. We had a prophecy Sunday. Everyone prophesied. Yes, Clinton prophesied um, amazing stuff over me. I was like, I want to prophesy. So a couple of weeks later, I started coming to, to the front with a whole new attitude. I'm going to pray for people, but God's going to speak this time. And I would lay my hands on people and obviously also a bit like, Ooh, but, uh, <laughs> but then God will come and he will give me pictures for people. And I'm amazed. I'm like, yo. And I kind of, Claire also prophesied over me that day. It was amazing. Um, I would kind of sit there and I'm like, Yo, God, you are faithful to give me pictures. And then it will happen again and again and again. And I will be like, Yo, the Lord is really working. He's like, He's speaking. He's speaking. I grew confident. Because for the first eight years, I wasn't confident that I heard the voice of God because there would be so much highs and lows and not a lot of good outflow, spiritual outflow. But I, wasn't, I was always like, oh, is it really God? What's happening? But now I'm spending time with him. I'm connecting with him. I'm eating of him. So I'm filled. And then I'm just like, oh, this is God. He's speaking. And I can confidently say, this is God. He's speaking. And it's awesome. So we started with intercession on Sunday evenings, Ignite the City. And there's a lot of you that, that, that attend every Sunday. And it's been awesome in my journey. It's been awesome in my personal journey with God because we are praying for the city and it's stirring a faith for the city. It's stirring a faith for God to move into action. And I'm aligning my heart because I'm seeing God is giving pictures and He's giving promises for us in, in Ignite the City. And we are, I just want to share this, we are currently in a season where God is saying the church is leaving the building and we are leaving a building. We're hearing testimonies every Sunday or every week or every second day. I hear testimonies of people just taking the gospel out. We're talking about evangelism now. But in this season, I believe God gave me a picture one Sunday. And the picture basically means he's wanting to ignite us. He's wanting to, to um, activate us, to go. And we're in a season of activation. And by praying every Sunday, I'm like so excited. I'm so activated. 
like I've never been before. I even prayed for people outside of church. Can you believe it? For eight years, I didn't pray for anyone outside the church building or church environment or missions environment. But I was a Christian. I did everything. I had my PhD in Christianity. But now, this couple of weeks, I'm just like, whoo, I can pray for people. And I can expect God to change and his love to change the, the people around me. So now I'm hungry. I'm hungry for power. I'm like, just like, God, God, I want to see your power. I've seen the prophecy, but now I want to see the power. Because I see you powerfully touching people. And I've experienced it. I've experienced heat in my body and I'm praying for people. And I experience heat. I'm like, whoo, God, power. Power. And I'm flipping excited, as you can see. <laughs> because God's moving. And he's changed my life. And I'm now in a season that I didn't know for eight years. And God was good for the first eight years. But he's flipping good this past year. <laughs> I'm really enjoying God. Nastasha's blessing because I used the word flipping and she told me not to use it. <laughs> Thank you, Diveska Stem Psalm. Okay. So, that is my testimony. That's what God did in my life. And I know that God can do it in your life too. I know that God can do it again and again and again. And there's nothing special about me. I, I used to think it's only like when people operate in this powerful stuff and pray and get pictures. I always thought it's for those people. Oh, he wants to be a pastor. That's an evangelist. They don't work 10 hours a day. They don't understand. They don't understand. It's for the special, special few. Oh, they got born in a Christian family. It makes so much sense. They don't have all the issues. I would, usually, I would usually say it's meant for someone else. But now God has done it in my life. And I can with confidence tell you, He wants to do it in your life. He wants to do it in your life. I want us to read in, in John 5 verse 39, and this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, the religious system of that time. And he's like, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. Because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. This is Jesus speaking. Yet, you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is telling the, he's, he's telling the religious system, you're doing everything every Sunday you're at church. Every Wednesday you're in small group. You're doing everything because you think by doing all these things, you will possess eternal life. And that's how my first eight years was. I did all the things. I attended everything. If you go, we've got this um, church builder uh, thing. What's it called? Church builder website where all of our names is on. Church building community. And then on there, you must say, if someone has attended everything, I've attended everything. Bible school one, two, and three, all the encounters facilitated everything. Because I thought that will give me eternal life. But Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You refuse to come to me to have life. I just have this picture. We're doing everything. We're aligning ourselves to stand in front of a puddle of water to drink it. But we never take a sip. We align ourselves to receive of God. But we never look Jesus in the eyes and we eat him for ourselves. We just position ourselves. And I've been positioning myself for eight years. 
even tonight, I just noticed I had the opportunity in worship to either enter God's presence or to take part in worship and not experience Him. But that was my decision. That's your decision. The person next to you that's experiencing God, they're not more special or more spiritual. It's just a decision to step into the presence of God. So, obviously, Jesus makes a statement. You never come to me to have life. I want us to read. This is in John 5. I want us to continue to read in John 6, verse 53 to 58. This is Jesus again. I'm just falling in love with this scripture. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, which is Jesus, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. You have no life in you unless you eat and drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. What a promise. And I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food. Say, my flesh is real food. And my blood is real drink. Amen. Jesus' flesh is real food. And his blood is real drink. It's not a concept that we talk about and try to understand. This is where we get life. This is where we get fed. This is where our spirits get filled. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. So there's not, not only a promise of eternal life, there's a promise of Jesus remaining in us and us in him for today. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And I love the scripture because they're using words like feeds, eats, what was it noch? Drinks. Words that means it's not only happening once a year, twice a year. It means it's continuous. Eating continuously, drinking continuously of the real blood, of the real flesh, which is real food, which is a real drink. This scripture, just to go on, some verses later, what happens, the disciples get very offended with this and Jesus loses half of his following because they can't agree with this principle that they can eat Jesus. And then Jesus says, the spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. So the food is a food for our spirit and the drink is a drink for our spirit. And it's true. We can drink of it. We can eat of it. And now I know you're all asking, okay, how on this earth do we eat Jesus? I asked myself that question. And I've come to believe that to eat Jesus is to eat his promises. What I've realized, what I've realized is God likes and loves to be God. Think about it. He loves to be our God. And when we place him on a place of authority and of lordship, he loves it. And we come to him and say, God, this is your promises in your word. And you can do it. I'm giving it to you. You can do it. This is your promises. He does it. Because he's not a father that makes promises and takes it back when it comes to doing it. He, 
he goes through, he, he, he kind of dear, yeah. He goes through with his promises. So how do we eat of Jesus? I know some of you don't get irritated. I do a lot, unfortunately. So when you're irritated, the thing is that's why we're eating daily, okay? Because we are emotional beings and every day we are different, okay? Every day there is some emotions or some circumstances that's not lacking to us. But to eat of Jesus is to come to Jesus and say, God, I am disappointed. But Jesus, you are hope. I'm eating your hope. I'm eating your life. You're saying your life. I'm taking a chunk out of that life. I'm drinking that life. Now, because I need life. And you are the only one that can give it to me. God, I'm depressed. I feel depressed. But you are life. I'm going to eat it. Okay. Because the day when we came to salvation, we actually went to Jesus and said, Jesus, you said you're going to save me. I'm eating it. I'm taking that bread and that promise for myself and I'm going to eat it and I'm going to make it my own. And that's why we have so much joy and when we get saved and we have so much, such an awesome experience because we came to God, not with theology, we came to Him and just said, I'm eating this. I'm taking this. And that's what it means to eat of Jesus. To come to Him daily and say, I'm taking this promise. In every circumstance, I'm taking this. You are Lord, I'm taking this. Be God in my life. I don't have a, a practical five-step for you to say, this is how you need to eat Jesus. Okay. But what I can say, what I can say, tomorrow morning when you pray, focus on getting life from Jesus. Not on the word, not on the scripture, not, oh, where did I stop yesterday? Where should I continue today? Which song is better to sing? Not on that stuff. Focus in coming, say, God, I want you. We were, we were speaking about hunger two weeks ago. Today I'm saying you can only be fulfilled if you eat with your hunger. So when you're hungry, come and eat of Jesus Christ. And he's going to fill you. Don't starve yourself. Don't be so hungry that you die because you never ate. Go and eat. And the reason... <laughs> oh, get excited. The reason I'm sharing this is the more we eat of Jesus, okay the more the gospel will become good news. Now evangelism in its root, it's a very difficult Greek word, but I want to read it to you. Euogelion. Don't quote me. Euogelion. Euogelion. Something like that. The Greeks understand. The Greeks in the house understand. And the meaning, the meaning of the, the word evangelism, and that's what we're talking about for weeks now, is good news. And I'm telling you now, no one wants to share a bad story. And the reason we find it difficult to evangelize and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ is because it's not good news in our heart. But once we eat of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ will become a good news and a good story in your heart. And you would want to share it. And you would walk in the shops and you would say, I've got the answer. Come eat of Jesus. Um, Anger says, always says, um, the gospel is just one beggar. A beggar, taking another beggar to, to where you find food. Okay? Showing them where the food is. That's, that's actually the root of the gospel. Is when you eat and you taste and you see that there's life, you cannot help yourself but see someone that needs life and needs spiritual food to, to show them there is Jesus, eat. There is he, eat. That's the gospel. That's the good news. But we will never find it good news. 
if we are caught in religion and if we're not eating of Jesus Christ. No one with good news can ever be silent. My brother, I called him last week, Monday. I said, Uchanet, how are you doing? He's like, ooh, you're calling it a strange time. Just left the hospital. We went for a pregnancy test, my wife and I. We might be pregnant. I'm like, okay, okay. He's about keep it on a down low. We don't want everyone to know. But I'm like, okay, cool. Three days later, speak to him. Everyone knows. Because it was good news. Huh? You can't stay silent with the good news. So I want to ask the worship band to come to the front. Because tonight I'm trusting that we're going to eat of Jesus. That we're going to not only stand here and leave this place and not take this opportunity to feed on Him. We're not going to go to small group anymore and take the opportunity, and not take the opportunity to feed on Him. Okay, we're going to eat of Him. And everything else that fills our flesh, we would stop longing for. I love the TV. I don't have one now. I don't think there's a reason to have one now. Because God has replaced him in my life. And there's a lot of things in our lives God wants to replace. But it's not going to happen when you empty the room and ask him to come in. It's going to happen when you just make him come in and then everything else will leave. That will just be the outflow. So I want for everyone here tonight, actually, to eat of Jesus. So if you are here and you've been caught in religion and you've been caught in doing Christianity out of your own strength and your own mind. I want you to come to the front and we're going to pray, we're going to worship. And the facilitator is going to pray for you. And we're going to pray that you will eat of Jesus and he will become alive to you. And that you will experience him in your, in your house, in your home, in your private place, behind closed doors. And that your life will change. Because I'm telling you now, Jesus has got life for you daily. You must just come and eat.